0: Thank you, Chuck. I, I really appreciate that. Thank all of you. Uh, I cannot tell you how glad I am to be with you. I, I really appreciate the opportunity to come and visit with you, and, and we're going to open the Word of God tonight. Uh, my, my family would love uh, to be here as well, uh, but they had a watermelon cutting tonight at Heritage, and so they said, no, sir. Uh, <laughs> so they're, they're having watermelon tonight, and they can't be here, but they would love to. Uh, but I'm so glad to be here. Uh, with you, uh, Chuck, uh, as he mentioned, he, he reached out on Monday, and and I I was so glad, and I know that the situation, what it is, and uh, but still having two days to prepare, you know, what, what preachers a lot of times I'll, I'll just give you an insight on the preaching world. Uh, when that happens, you're pretty much automatically reaching in the stacks. You, you know, what went well before? Let's pull out an oldie but a goodie and dust it off. But the problem is. You don't have as much spiritual momentum behind it. And I looked at y'all's theme, and it was amazing. It was great. It, I mean, Lord, help me. The ways in which following Jesus molds your day-to-day, can help you live your day-to-day life. And I thought, that, well, that's amazing. I, I would love to speak on that. Uh, and, and there's a lot of things on my heart that I've been thinking about lately that would go great with that. And so it's, do, do you pull out the, the well-laid-out old sermon Or maybe a little bit raw and less connected uh, new sermon. And and so brace yourselves. This is like having somebody over when you haven't had time to clean. Uh, But but we're going to have a good time in the Word of God tonight. And He's going to build us up. As we study tonight, I want to start off by thinking of the way that Jesus transforms lives. In what method? How does he do it? How does Jesus transform lives? And I believe there's a text that speaks volumes to it. It's there in John chapter 12 as Jesus is speaking. We're not going to spend a whole lot of time in that text tonight, but I wanted to start off our thoughts tonight. How does Jesus transform lives? And I think you could say many different things in response to that question. They wouldn't be wrong. Just, just a variety of ways in which you could say that Jesus transforms lives but if there was one way if we just had to hone it down what is our primary message going to be the one thing that we say above all other things the one thing that we say before we say all other things the primary method in which Jesus transforms lives I think he says it himself there in John chapter 12 verse 31 beginning Because he said, now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Brethren, I I cannot say emphatically enough that if we would be transformed into the image of Christ, if we would be drawn into his presence where you will find no richer, fuller, more profound, more joyful, more peaceful life than you'll ever find. If we would be there where the master dominates our manner of life, if we would look to to Jesus to mold this generation, we must proclaim first and foremost the word of the cross. We must. Lord, help me see the cross. Lord, help me see the cross. Jesus did not say, when I teach you better, I will draw you. As though all the rabbis that came before me, their their methods, their their teaching, it was good, but it wasn't good enough. And I came and I'm going to transform you because I teach better. And when I teach you better, I will draw you. He didn't say that. He didn't say, when I give you better laws, I will draw you. He didn't say, when I answer all your theological questions, I will draw you. He said, when I am lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. Which means as we look outwardly, if we would do a better job of evangelism, we must focus on lifting high the cross of Christ. He he said himself, how does Jesus draw people when he's lifted up? How do we need to go draw people? By lifting him up. But as we look inwardly, if I would transform my mind into the mind of Christ, if I would transform my life, my manner of life, my image into his image, I need to spend more time looking intently to the cross of Christ because it is there in which he draws men to himself. And I must point out that this is not something that we've done particularly well with in the the churches of Christ. The, The history of restoration, thought and theology, it shows a subtle and yet distinct at times displacement of the cross. It's indeed crucial It's indeed crucial that we listen to the Philippians' question, what must I do to be saved? And we need to listen to the answer, and we need to know what we must do. But all too often in our movement, the focus has been a bit too heavy on what man must do and a bit too light on what God has done. What has God done that gave me place to do anything that I might come to Him? And I think I understand why we do that. I agree. We've seen too much lazy Christianity out there. Too many that would say, you don't have to do anything. Faith only salvation, grace only salvation. And we, we push back rightly and say, no, look, there are some things you've got to do. And that's right. But I want to point out this evening that the best way to illuminate what man must do is in proclaiming what God has done. It is there in the cross of Christ, the the most effective method, the most effective method for transforming lives and for raising up a generation that bows the knee to the lordship of Jesus Christ, following hard after him and doing whatever he commands. He said it himself, when I am lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. The most effective method for bending your own will and growing more in the likeness of Christ is to dwell on the cross Of Christ primarily because the cross forces us to ask some hard questions for one the the cross forces us to consider do I just want the outcomes of Jesus life or do I want Jesus life do I just want the things that Jesus life accomplished or do I want his life itself I want you to think about how that question just rocked Peter's world. Peter's concept of the Messiah, Peter's concept of what it meant to be a disciple. Do I want Jesus' life? I know the goal that Jesus came to accomplish, but what do I think about the path that he takes to get there? And do I want that path for my own life? You see it there in Matthew chapter 16. We have the question, who do you say that I am? I who do they say that I am? But who do you say that I am? And the the response comes in faith. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And the text said that Jesus blessed him. And that Jesus gave him the keys to the kingdom. And yet it also says that Jesus immediately began to show them that he must go to Jerusalem. And that he must go to the cross. And it's there that Peter rebukes him. Peter agrees that Jesus is the Christ. Peter agrees that Jesus is the Messiah, the long-awaited king of Israel. Peter stands ready to participate in this kingdom of the Messiah. He professes allegiance to this Jesus, even in the face of opposition from the Jewish leadership. But when Jesus teaches them that his path runs through a cross, Peter can't go there. I agree with who you are. I agree with what you've come to accomplish, but I do not agree with the path that you've chosen and we, we stand here 2,000 years later and we know some things that Peter didn't know. We see some things that Peter didn't see. Some things have been illuminated by the Holy Spirit to us that Peter's eyes did not behold. And so we understand these things. But I would also remind you that we have the luxury of talking about cross in the past tense looking back on it as an event that has already happened, but the question comes again to you and I, do I just want the outcomes of the cross or do I actually want the cross? Do I want the outcomes of Jesus' life or or do I want Jesus' life? Do I just want the accomplishment or do I also want the path? Because you remember what Paul said there in Philippians chapter 3. We would say the first half of it I love to say the first half of it and stop there and bake in that. When he said, I want to know Christ and the powers of resurrection. I want to know Christ. I want to know the power of his resurrection. But he keeps going. And the sharing of his sufferings. By becoming like him in his death. If somehow I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. The cross of Christ is not just the part of Christianity that we put up with... and hurry to move past so that we can get to the good life. The cross is the core essence of the good life. The cross is the core essence of what it means to be a Christian. As Jesus says in Luke chapter 7... If anyone... You know what anyone means in the Greek here? It means anyone. If anyone... Would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus is absolutely concerned that you find the good life. Jesus wants life for you even more than you want for yourself. Jesus is better to you than you will ever be to yourself. He pours more life into you than you will ever want for yourself. Jesus is absolutely concerned that you have life that is rich and full and satisfying. And because he made you, and because he made this universe, and he's above all things, he knows exactly where you find that kind of life. He says it's on a cross. If you would find life, you must lose your life. Where your will is sacrificed, where your flesh is denied, where trials are born to the glory of God and trusting expectation of the resurrection to come. He raises up supernatural life in you that the world does not know when you lose your life, when you embrace the cross. The good life is the cross life. And the world simply does not, cannot, will not ever understand that the, the joy And the peace and the power of the cross life. Don't look out there for this kind of life. They don't understand this kind of life. Paul said, the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. There is joy in the cross. There is peace in the cross. And just almost as an aside, I want to clear something up in our theology that I think would help us see the peace of the cross the joy of the cross because i think there's a piece of jesus passion that we often hear misrepresented that being that moment in which jesus cries out from the cross and what does he say my god my god why have you forsaken me and we preach this often and we say well that's the moment in which the father left the son that's the moment in which the father turned his face away from the Son. The Holy Communion, the Divine Fellowship that existed from from eternity and will exist to eternity on that moment, however, was ruptured and Father and Son were parted And, and, and the Father and His Holiness could not coexist with the Son and so He had to depart from the Son. We say many things such as this and we say well at least in that aspect can I say thank you Jesus for experiencing separation so that I didn't have to. I don't want that part of the cross life. I don't want to be separated from God. Thank you, Jesus, for experiencing separation from the Father so that I don't have to. But but I want to challenge our theology just a bit. And I want to offer you some good news at the same time because I, I do not believe that the Father left the Son in that moment to suffer alone. Yes, the Father allowed the son to die as a substitutionary sacrifice, and in that sense, yes, the father abandoned the son to die. But I do not read where the father left the scene. As a matter of fact, Psalm 22, which Jesus was quoting at that very moment, it ought to tell us exactly where the father was at that moment. The psalmist he details the agony of the suffering servant for 18 verses, the plea for help that follows. But look down to Psalm 22 there in verses 22 through 24. We've got to read the whole Psalm. Jesus was quoting the Psalm to bring our attention to the Psalm because at that moment, I feel like you've forsaken me, God. I feel like I don't know where you are, God. I'm in my moment of greatest need, and where are you, God? The psalmist had said as much. But there in 22, we read, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him. All you offspring of Israel. I just see Jesus proclaiming this to the crowds from the cross. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe. Why? For he has not despised. Or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, and he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. And because of this, the psalmist concludes in verses 27 through 28 All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you, for kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. Where is God when you are carrying your cross? Where is he when your life becomes sin? Not necessarily because you're bearing the sins of another, but because you are struggling in the middle of some temptation. Is he forced to hide his face away from you because of his holiness? I I want you to know tonight that it's so important that we get this teaching of the cross right because God does not forsake his cross bearers. God the Father, Jesus the Son, the Holy Spirit, your Helper, they will bear you up as you bear your cross. And there is great joy and great peace and power in the cross life because it is lived in the very presence of God himself. He does not hide his face away, but he hears you when you cry. And there is great peace in the cross. The cross is not the part of Christianity that we hide away from. It's not something we relegate to the past. The cross is something that we embrace and we participate in. And so very quickly, I want to highlight for us three ways in which I believe the cross holds the power to reshape our very concept of God and reality and of ourselves and to impact the way that we live our day-to-day lives. three ways in which the cross accomplishes this. Number one, In the cross, we have the consummate revelation of the heart of God, and it puts all our human conceptions of who God must be to the test. Although we know God to be most high and most holy and most powerful, not abiding with the least shadow of darkness, he is intense and unrelenting light, although this is absolutely true of our God. Even the Old Testament hints at the fact that God limits certain aspects of his nature in order to maintain a relationship with his people. He is all-sufficient. He needs nothing. You can't take anything from him. He is all-sufficient within himself. And yet, even in the Old Testament, he portrays himself as a betrayed husband, one who is heartbroken, as a weeping parent, He is judge. And yet he quickly turns from judging his people time and time again to be a fellow sufferer with them, taking up their pain as his own pain. It was C.A. Dismore that said, there was a cross in the heart of God before there was one planted on the green hill outside of Jerusalem. The Hebrew writer opens his letter by teaching us that God spoke in many different ways in ages past. But, but here in this last day, he, he's spoken in the sun. And, and the sun is the radiance of the glory of God. As though God is the sun and to be in the direct presence of that sun, it would consume you. You could not stand directly in his presence. And yet that soft, warm sunlight that's so life-giving, so beneficial, so so caressing... So welcomed, it comes down to us in a form that we can exist with. Jesus is every bit of the sun, but he's the radiance. He is the exact imprint of his nature. And in the, in the Christ, we behold the clearest communication that God has ever made to man, telling us exactly what his heart looks like. And the heart of God is shaped like a cross. The, the cross of Christ, therefore, it challenges our, our notions of what God must be like. He he appears so far removed, so isolated in the perfection of His holiness. But the cross reveals Him to actually be lowly and enduring shame. The, The Father who holds all power, who is subject to none, and yet makes Himself vulnerable because of love. We would expect an awesome God such as this to work His will through sheer might. And yet the cross reveals... That the will of God is worked through the power of suffering love. The cross, firstly, it impacts our lives in the way that it shapes our view of who God is and what God is like. And and it teaches us that we are of immeasurable worth. We can live in, in the security of immeasurable worth. And we hear God's call to us not as an ultimatum, but as an open-handed invitation because we were wooed, we were pursued, we were desperately wanted by this great God of heaven who needs nothing, who, who suffers not one bit of incompleteness apart from us, but he is love. And in the shadow of the cross, his nature is revealed. And God's children learn to live their lives not in the chains of law, but in the freedom of love. Number one, the the cross is going to impact your life and the way that it shapes the way you see God and what God must be like. Number two, the cross reveals the nature of sin and the depth of divine grace. Do we really comprehend our sin problem? Do we really understand its depths? It's reach. Do we really understand sin? It was Leonard Allen that said, if the cross provides the clearest window into the divine heart, it also provides a window into the labyrinth of the human heart. We do not truly see our sin until we see something of what our sin cost God. We cannot know the extent of our estrangement from God until we see something of the distance God had to travel to reach us. We do not confess our sin, then turn to the cross. Rather, we see Jesus lifted up on the cross and find ourselves moved to confess our sin. And he added, the cross is therefore deeply wounding. The cross exposes our inadequacies, the cross reveals the notion that we are not self sufficient. It highlights our helplessness and the fullness of our need. The cross kicks the legs out from underneath our pride. Because for any Christian who gazes upon the cross and reports, I am not responsible for that, his own soul convicts him liar, liar, liar. In the cross, the nature of our sin is revealed. But we can face the nature of our sin at the cross because no matter how deeply it exposes our sin, the cross at the same time reveals that the grace of God is deeper than our sin. In the cross, God does not say, give me your goodness and give me your righteousness and I will crown them with your reward. At the cross, God says, bring me your failures, bring me your brokenness and I will crown you with my grace And it truly is a mystery. God is so unlike us in this regard. We have never forgiven so much at such a cost as this. We have never lowered our pride like this and made such a sacrifice for the cause of love. It's a mystery that God would love so deeply in the face of such sin. And so the cross is deeply wounding, the cross lays bare and exposes the nature of our sin, but the cross heals. It binds. The cross recreates. And that's why we say that at the cross, Jesus receives you as you are, just as you are, arms wide open. He will accept you just as you are. But at the cross, you will find it impossible to stay just as you are. You're too exposed. You're too laid bare and too wonderfully and gracefully remade at the cross. The cross shapes our lives in this second way and the way that it shapes our conceptions of ourselves, the way that we see our standing before God. And in the cross, we do something very, very strange. In the cross, we proclaim our brokenness and our helplessness and our insufficiencies and our failures boldly, joyfully with great and abiding peace. We proclaim our humanity as we sing, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus and his righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but I wholly, I wholly lean on Jesus' name. Or as Paul would say it, I will boast all the more gladly in my weakness so that the power of Christ May rest on me. Lastly, thirdly, the way of the cross provides the model for God's new social order, the, the community of the Messiah, the church. The definition of discipleship is a cross. The definition of It's, it's non-negotiable. There, there's no such thing as a Christian without a cross. It's a a contradiction of terms. Luke 14 and 27, he said, Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. The definition of discipleship is a cross. And so entering the kingdom means participating in a manner of life that stands in stark contrast to the life that we see out there, the ways of the world. In the Messiah's new community, people forgive one another as God in Christ forgave them. In the Messiah's new community, whoever would be great must be a servant. If you want to be first, you have to be slave of all because God came to serve and not to be served. In the Messiah's new community, love is given freely, indiscriminately. As Jesus himself said in Luke 6, love your enemies And do good, and lend expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind and ungrate kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. In the Messiah's New Community, people release their grip on their possessions in order to share and help one another. In the Messiah's New Community, we care for those that society has rejected. The least of these as he says, the poor, the prisoner, the social outcast. In the Messiah's new community, we endure the hostility of those who are offended by the cross. In short, in the Messiah's new community, we follow the way that Jesus went, the path that led to the cross. It's why when you enter this community, you experience something called baptism. That point in which the death and the burial and the resurrection, the passion of the cross is laid over your life. I want that story to be my story as well. The death in which he had victory, I want to find victory in it as well as I die as well. We are baptized into this community. And we worship week after week. We come and we commune at the table. And our minds collectively return to the cross again. We examine ourselves. We ask the hard question, is my life cross-shaped? Because we, we understand the exposure of sin and the healing of grace that took place at our first encounter with the cross. It was not a one-time event. We return time and time and time again to, to the foot of the cross. And we bow our knees and we lift our hands to the God of the cross, and we are wonderfully reshaped time and time again, our lives shaped into the cross. Lord, help me see the cross. The cross, our primary message, the means by which God will draw all men to himself. If we would be transformed, if we would be a transforming force in this community, Let us lift high the cross of Jesus Christ. If you would, please pray with me. Father, we love you. Father, we come to you asking, begging, that you would bring your cross into each and every one of our hearts, that you would help us to see your heart there on the cross, that we might come to know you and understand you, know how to meet with you on what terms you would meet with us. Father, let us see the cross so that we might see you. Father, let us see the cross that we might see our sins. How far you had to go because how far we had traveled. How deeply wounded you were because of our sins. And yet you took it on willingly because how deep is your grace. And Father, we praise you for your great grace that we have not yet seen the depths of. We saw it there at the cross. How far you would go because how deeply you love us. Father, help us to understand. Father, help us to have that kind of grace with others, that kind of love for others. Help us step into this cross life and participate in this cross life. Father, create in our midst your community, a place where we live differently than they live in the world, where we do things that do not make sense in the wisdom of the world, where we forgive, where we sacrifice, where we show mercy and grace, where we give of our lives to those who will never be able to give back, where we let loose of the things that this world teaches us are worth something because we understand it's worth nothing in comparison to your presence, your eternal home. Father, help us to refocus, take our eyes off of this world and place our eyes on you as we look through the cross and see this world for what it really is. Father, we understand that these are things that we see in passing frames where we'll understand you for a moment and yet tomorrow will we'll become forgetful again where we hold on to you and your truth for a moment and then the temptations or the worries or the stresses of this life they'll call our mind away again Father we pray that you build your image greater larger, each and every day in our minds, help us to see you steadily and faithfully. Help us to see the cross each and every day that we might be impacted in the way that we live our life each and every day. We pray all these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen.